and welcome to ONS Energy Talks. Uh, my name is Ingrid Johanna Stenberg, and together with my guest here today, I want to give you some insight into one of the many things happening in the energy sector today. Today we are diving into hydrogen, which is on, it seems, on everyone's lips. And I am very lucky to have with me Frida Eklöf-Monstad from Equinor. She is a senior advisor for low-carbon business models in Equinor. And she's also a part of the ONS 2022 program committee for hydrogen. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> First, uh, let us get some basic facts down uh, on in our virtual fact box, uh, if you may call it that. Um, what is your job in a nutshell? Well, um, I would say start with the purpose. Uh, the purpose of my job is really to remove emissions from oil and gas products in order to tackle their negative effects that they have on the climate, but also be able to provide our customers with energy they need. And then if you look at the role, it's really to look at what Equinor can do with other actors, maybe governments, suppliers, partners, competitors and, and customers to make this happen. So uh, what is hydrogen really and how does that fit in? Yeah. Uh, well, simply put, hydrogen is a gas that can be burned to generate heat or converted into electricity. And uh, I would say the beauty of it is that it only emits water when it's burned and it's powerful enough to be used as a rocket fuel. And you can use hydrogen for the same purposes as you use natural gas today for heat, to generate power and for transportation. So, you know, today it's mainly used as an ingredient in refining and industrial processes to produce ammonia, methanol, iron and steel. But the future uh, apply applications and, and uses areas is what's exciting. So it look it seems like it's a magic fuel in some way or or energy carrier. But how do we find it or make it? Yeah, find it. You know, then the universe is really follow it. I would say, but uh, here on Earth, you can produce hydrogen from, for example, oil and gas, or through electrolysis of water, uh, where you use electricity to decompose water into oxygen and hydrogen gas. Uh, but when you produce it from, uh, for example, natural gas, the production process uh, produces or releases a lot of emissions. So, in order to make uh, hydrogen out of fossil fuels into a more climate-friendly product, you need to capture the emission from this production process and transport these and store them safely underground in reservoirs. And that's what we call carbon, carbon capture and storage, or CCS. But how much money uh, are we talking about here? It sounds expensive. Yes, uh, I, yes, I guess, you know, it really depends on the size of the project or what you'd like to use the hydrogen for. I think the thing is that for hydrogen to really make a significant contribution as a climate friendly fuel, it needs to be adopted in a sector where it's, you know, almost absolutely, you know, absent today, uh, such as for transport, for heating of buildings or, or power generation. And to make that happen, you need to build entire value chains from production plants to storage, transportation and application that can run on it. So the investments needed are really substantial, to say the least. Uh, but to put it maybe in a bit of perspective, um, I saw a, a paper from the European Commission and they estimated that the investment into hydrogen in Europe could be up to 470 billion euros by 2050. So that's a lot of money. Yes. <laughs> which, which companies are, are you, you represent Equinor, for example, which have talked, uh, mm -hmm. talked a lot about uh, hydrogen lately. But what other companies do we uh, talk about here? 
Yeah, I would get, you know, they're large power companies, uh, also current large hydrogen and ammonia producers, and, and some of the larger companies really delivering these uh, hydrogen infrastructure solutions. But absolutely, you know, the uh, many of the oil majors, is they're really a, a great di- driving force uh, for this. Um, many of us have set zero, zero target ambitions. And, you know, it's not only because it's, you know, it's the right thing to do from a climate perspective, but it's really also to be able to be a relevant company in the future. Uh, so in order to be, do, be that, we must reduce the impact of uh, the products we have on the climate. That uh, in- concludes our little fact box. We, uh, Of course, <laughs> the answers uh, might be longer when we have a, a lot to talk about. And uh, I think a lot of people are um, very curious about hydrogen because we just hear about it a lot. So let's, <clears throat> let's talk uh, or dig a little deeper. Yeah, as you mentioned, it's said to be one of the maybe defining pieces in the building a low emission value chain uh, going forward. And uh, together with the already excess, existing technologies, uh, as you mentioned, carbon capture, storage, uh, natural gas, it's uh, it's a very high energy carrier that makes it possible to fuel both ships and cars, as you mentioned. But um, we also heard, you know, terrifying stories about hydrogen um and i i do believe uh, many of us uh, have questions whether it's safe how do we make sure not only us as consumers um and the consumer end of it uh, can use hydrogen in a safe way but also the people working in the in- industry how do we make sure they have a safe job um and that it's a safe alternative So what do you think about that? I know safety has been high on your agenda. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say, you know, uh, to the question, if hydrogen really is safe, I would say yes, if you manage the risks correctly. Um, but, you know, hydrogen do have some properties that really needs to be carefully considered when you both design and operate facilities and use this this product. Um, it ignites very easily, almost by its own. By its own. Um, and the reactivity is much higher than traditional fuels, so that will cause a relatively large explosion. Uh, it's also a very light molecule, so it makes it a bit dif- difficult to store, and therefore also containment needs to really have special attention when you when you design. Um, so I would say, you know, safety and design and operation is is just fundamental. Um, and I think the important thing here is that you know it's of course because we don't want to harm anyone. Uh, or for that matter, you know, cause uh, large material damages. But any incident, big or small, made by us or any other actor in this new business space will really impact the credibility of, I would say, the entire industry. And that will really impact, um, what to say, the social license to to develop and operate these new value hydrogen value chains. Um, but as we said, you know, this risk can be managed and building really on, you know, we have decades of experience from, for example, the oil and gas, where we have been dealing safely with hydrocarbons in areas where there's a risk of fire or explosion. And we can design systems with, you know, appropriate engineering controls and and establish guidelines to ensure the safe handling and use of this product. Having said that, you know, there are many new actors out there. Uh, So I think it's just so important that we share our experience and collaborate across companies going forward. Um, Because I also want to say, like, 
I think it's important to see also that um, you know there is even a larger risk related to not to adapt hydrogen at all. Um, many different there are many different scenarios on sort of the future of hydrogen or the future energy mix and how markets will develop. And common for all of them is that there's not one single answer that will need several solutions. And hydrogen is hydrogen is recognized in most of these um, scenarios as a necessity to tackle the climate challenge. So I would say it's an even larger risk to, you know, using big words, to, to humankind related not to adapting hydrogen. And that's really the risk of not solving the climate challenge, to, to really put it bluntly. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about the safety aspect of this. Uh, when the risks are so high, what do we actually have to do to make it safe and secure to work with and use hydrogen as part of the energy mix? You know, I think it's a lot about collaboration and sharing of experiences, being open and really create trust as actors, you know, as there are a lot of new actors in this new business space. Um, I think it's important to see that we don't compete on safety as any incident, you know, will impact the credibility of the entire industry. Um, so I think we all will win if we collaborate and share learnings on safety. And, you know, research on unwanted incidents shows that up to 80% of all breaches to barriers happen in the designing of planning phase. And that's often, you know, far from the actual place where the incident happened physically. Uh, so, you know, design may, of, of course, be technical, but it can also be organizational or human. Uh, and we do know that we will never be able to secure um, our operations from human error, 100%. But what, what we can influence is sort of the underlying factors more that impact both probability and, and consequences of any unwanted accidents. Um, so safety, you know, um, I think it's important to see it's not only important from a humane perspective that we don't want to hurt anyone. And it's not only important in order for this, you know, license to operate. Uh, but my experience is that if you have control over safety, that, that really says something about the rest of your business as well. Uh, so, you know, safety is not really something you do on the sideline. I would say that safety is really the result of perfect planning and execution of a task. So if you have control over safety, you will achieve effectiveness and efficiency as well. It all starts Sorry? in plan. No, yeah, it does. And I also think sort of it's, it's the culture and that's sort of um, because safety, I think to many uh, also, you know, for example, in the oil and gas industry really means something on a personal level. And it does really for me, you know, if an an incident or an unwanted incident would occur. My personal goal is really that I could stand up straight and say that I've done all I could, given the power of influence I have in my role, to prevent that this incident should have happened. Uh, and, and my experience is really that I share this view with my colleagues in Equinor and a lot of other actors with experience from the oil and gas industry. So that's why I also think it's really important that we have forests and that we really collaborate across. But back to the challenges that you say um, we can use uh, our experience <clears throat> from the oil and gas sector and so on. Um, do we have all the, the mitigation factors available? Do we have all the technology uh, that we need to make sure that this is safe? Uh, and what about all the new actors coming in that you mentioned? They not all of them have experience from uh, HSC um, or very focused HSC companies such as mm. uh, Exxon and oil and gas um, are known for. 
No, I think, um, you know, it's, it's really about collaboration and being open and sharing experience. And then I think you have to see the entire picture because, uh, you know, in the, the, all the actors in the entire value chain, because, you know, if, if this really should work, uh, as, as we, th- sh- we want it to be, uh, we really have the first fundamental challenge, which I also briefly mentioned earlier. It's that, you know, hydrogen needs to be adopted in sectors where it's absolutely, you know, or almost, you know, absent today. So so it's going to be adopted in sectors that are not used to handle this kind of product or products. Um, so, you know, for transport, heating of buildings and power generation. So so this this these kind of markets don't exist and they need to be built. So that's one part. And then in order to, to uh, make that happen, you have to develop these entire value chains. So uh, it's not only sort of the, the what you say, using, using, for example, gas as a feedstock uh, and, you know, production plants, et cetera, but you have to have somewhere to store it, transport it and, and applications that can run on it uh, in a safe manner. Um, so I think, you know, in order for all these value chain actors and companies to invest in these solutions and, and customers really to be willing to start using hydrogen, uh, it must also make economical sense. So, you know, I guess technology development and economies of scale, which of, will, of course, be important to, to reduce cost. But um, this is really where governments come in. Um, so there is a really need for, for governments to create regulatory frameworks uh, around this new value chains, uh, also including, you know, emission taxes and funding opportunities in order to incentivize both providers and customers to be willing and able to invest and start using these new solutions to, to really kickstart these new value chains. Um, and then in addition to this cost issue, it's also the important issue to handle sort of the, the public perception of these solutions. Like first and most importantly, we need to ensure safety and design and, and operation is absolutely fundamental. As then, you know, any accident here will really impact the credibility of the entire industry and, and you know, for us all. Yeah, and we have heard uh, horror stories from explosions uh, from before. So I do think that is in the front of mind of uh, many people. Um, But let's go back to the applications. You mentioned a few things and you have background from the maritime sector um, in Equinor, which Mm -hmm. maybe the maritime sector is maybe the most obvious as of now. Um, But you mentioned also heating of buildings and, and so on. Do you think um, one thing is the big supplier industry and, and that part of the sector, which have been more than open to explore different things and have also uh, the companies have set demands to actually uh, give them contracts. But what about us consumers, uh, hydrogen, cars, uh, buildings, things that we all uh, depend on? Are we ready for that, do you think? Um, I think we have to become ready uh, if we are not. Uh, but I think also, you know, uh, looking at the energy mix and what will be needed. Um, I think, you know, there are, you know, we can't, we need to use different tools. Uh, and like here in Norway, we uh, we are fortunate enough to to be able to use um, uh, batteries uh, for cars, for example. So, so I think it sort of depends a bit on, 
what kind of thing you you want to use it for and the activity uh, that you will use it. And maybe just reflecting a bit uh, to the back to the maritime industry. Um, among other things, I headed up the Equinor's offshore support vessel fleet, including about 40 to 50 vessels in operations every single day, engaging like uh, 1,500 people in shop and operations. Um, and you know, reducing and eliminating emissions from that from the maritime industry will really depend on using sort of different tools in the toolbox, and what kind of mix of solution that has the best fit will really depend on what type of vessel and what kind of activity the vessel is supposed to perform. You know, ferries sailing short distances will use different tools compared to offshore support vessels, fishing, fishing vessels or cruise ships with a lot of passengers or, you know, large tankage, which are very heavy and should sail for, for many hours. Um, I guess what they all need, despite of fuel, is really a crew that is focusing on safe and energy efficiency in, in operations. But um, when I headed up the, the offshore support fleet, we installed a lot of batteries on the vessels, the offshore support vessels. And they, you know, they really help, but they won't take you all the way to, to zero emissions uh, for the type of ships that are going to sail for a long period of time, needing large volumes of power and not having access to sort of efficient charging um, so just to illustrate maybe the challenge with batteries, like even if you fill an entire deck of a supply vessels with batteries, leaving no room for cargo, the ship would still have to recharge after just a few hours of sailing. So something more powerful is really needed for these kind of activities. So for heavy and long distance transport like shipping, this is where hydrogen really comes in. Uh, it's a very potent energy carrier. Um, and for example, you, you have to use hydrogen fuel cells uh, in uh, uh, and and they have you know far greater energy storage density than these lithium ion batteries so they offer an, a significant range advantage while also being really lighter and and taking up less space uh, and then you know hydrogen may be liquefied pressurized or or stored in organic oil to be transported and used as a maritime fuel or you can use it to produce ammonia and then uh, other aspects come into play. Um, ammonia have other characteristics um, that makes it perhaps more suitable for certain type of operations. Uh, it takes up even less space than hydrogen. Uh, it doesn't ignite that easily. Uh, however, it is very toxic. Uh, so to sum up, I guess, you know, there won't be a one size fits all. Uh, but common for all of these solutions is that they must be used in a safe way. Uh, and one thing that we haven't touched upon, but we briefly uh, <clears throat> talked about uh, earlier, was the colors of hydrogen, because that mm -hmm. is one of the confusing parts um, in all of this. We have green hydrogen and brown, and I've even heard of pink and yellow and mm -hmm. so on. Um, does it really matter where the hydrogen comes from and what color it is? Um, I would say we are very color agnostic and the color is really, you know, that is something used to define how it's produced and how much then emissions are uh, are. Uh, released in the production. Green hydrogen is hydrogen made from renewable sources and using electrolysis. So that's completely renewable. Um, whereas blue is the hydrogen you produce from natural gas. And then you use these 
carbon capture technologies to, to capture the emissions uh, and enable that then to become a more climate friendly product. Uh, and then the other color sort of if you use you produce it from nuclear or, or other kind of uh, uh, products. Um, for us uh, and what we see in, in our, um, uh, what, what could you say, the scenarios for the future, we can't really afford to um, be dependent on a single color um, because we will need all of them uh, in order to succeed to meet this Paris Agreement. And that's also why we in Equinor, we also work a lot with the green hydrogen efforts using offshore wind, for example, to, to generate hydrogen. Um, so, you know, when it's produced, it's the same product. So it doesn't matter what color it is, hydrogen is the same. Um, we're, but we're going I think for hydrogen uh, diversity. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but what I do think you you are sort of um, bringing up an important part because, um, and that's really sort of the perception related to hydrogen made from from nuclear or or for example fossil sources like like natural gas. Because uh, even if hydrogen in general is really seen as a part of the solution in in many and many countries have set targets for the use of hydrogen in their energy mix going forward. In EU, the targets are mainly from hydrogen produced from renewable energy, green hydrogen. Uh, and in several countries, the public opinion sort of also driving, of course, the politics, but the public opinion of using hydrogen made from anything but renewable sources is very demanding. Since hydrogen produced from fossil sources, um, you know, even if we're able to remove, you know, over with today's te production techniques, you know, 95% of the emissions, it's not renewable. So, you know, it, in EU, there are stronger voices, voices really against anything that is, you know, related to the fossil sources or oil and gas. Uh, and this has resulted in that present time that these kind of hydrogen efforts are not backed up with the necessary funding opportunities that hydrogen made from renewables are. Um, and then I think it's also, you know, a matter, and we see it um, sadly, you know, as we speak, I think in today's world, um, but, but it's really an issue related to geopolitics and the dependency of, of energy imports. As uh, so, you know, with regards to energy, the EU have made itself, you know, quite dependent really on imports of energy, both from Norway, but also Russia. Uh, so I think, you know, this shift and the focus on renewable, it's also about the opportunity for some countries to become independent of this energy import and also sort of create domestic industry and job opportunities within renewable energy production. But as we see it, um, that's not enough. Should we also ensure that consumers of energy actually have a stable access to an affordable price? And that is, you know, something we have really experienced, uh, you know, since this summer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to sum up, we really, you know, there are large opportunities, but we all have a large job to do, I think. And, and to be quite blunt, I think success is perhaps more a matter, as long as we can handle this safely, it's perhaps more a matter of politics than about sort of safe and efficient technologies to reduce emissions. And with that, it's, uh, you are right, we are living in a very exciting and not in a good way uh, situation right now. Uh, so uh, we're um, awaiting what happens in Europe, of course, and also the signals from the EU. And um, uh, it's very interesting to hear that the technology is in place uh, in much much of the value chain, really. So it depends on uh, the, ch the decisions from the EU and the politics uh, of it all. But it was uh, very interesting to hear from 
your side and where you're coming from with uh, the the infrastructure and the technology and the experience that Equinor has to offer into this. And we, of course, look forward to hear a lot more from both you and the other players within this part of the energy sector when we meet at uh, UNS in Stavanger late August. Uh, but tune in before that to get the energy talks you need to keep you updated. Thank you, Frida Eklöf-Monstad. Thank you.